Uh, hey, Sierra. Hey, Giselle. Good to talk to you. It's been a while since we've actually like had a conversation. <laughs> I don't think we've actually had a conversation for either. We only had a conversation in person other than like through text and through, I don't know, through That's... like Discord. Yeah, that's true. Like we we text all the time, but <laughs> I think the only time we've actually talked was that yeah, that one time in person. That one person we met we met before my birthday, and then all right, never again. So <laughs> so sad. But that's COVID. That's life with COVID, unfortunately. I know. So, um, anyways, welcome back to the podcast. I guess even though you're on it every week, so. Well, thank you. It's it's a little bit different though to be like having a chat like this about the election instead of just doing a Sierra says. So it's kind of fun to. Maybe commiserate, maybe I don't know exactly how to feel about anything yet, but uh, whatever it is we're doing, it's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, I agree, I agree. Um, but man, so many things to talk about. Um, it is weird because this is one of the first things that we're ever doing, I guess, of just us chatting. And yeah. um, it's weird because I guess we don't typically talk about politics per se, even though we, you know, it's kind of related, I would say. So, um, yeah, but uh, we can start by just like, how are you, how are you feeling, girl? What, uh, what's, what's new with you? What's new with you? Well, I mean, right now, I feel good about where things stand. Um, for those of you who don't know like a lot of what I do for my academic research, one of my focuses is on voting behavior. And so like, this is when I completely nerd out every two years, really, anytime there's like a national election in particular. But this has once again showed us that we don't understand voter behavior as well as we thought we did, and that polling tends to miss um, in kind of unexpected ways sometimes. But I mean, nonetheless, where we are now at about 11 a.m. on Wednesday after the election is that if you're hoping for a Democratic win for the presidency, I mean, things are looking very encouraging, but I think it's it's a lot closer than most people expected, and it's hard to feel really, really good about a lot of what's happened in general. And this is uh, for those uh, international listeners uh, who may not be paying attention. Uh, we are in the United States. We're in California, both of us. And uh, the United States just had a presidential election on top of other things as well, which is both great in America, where we have this voting process where we can put in ballots and put in measures and propositions to vote on state by state and, you know, city by city has their own things too. Um, but we are we voted for the president uh, yesterday, or at least votes were initially counted. <laughs> so uh, there's a process with mail-in ballots where you can get these ballots in the mail and you can deposit or put them in a box and they can be counted later or <laughs> sooner. Um, and there is a lot of things happening here in America, but... Um, but just for you international listeners, um, just because if you might be listening to the podcast and you're wondering where the cross-dressing, sexuality, and gender stuff is, um, I think Sierra and I discussed that I think it's important to talk about this stuff because we didn't want to come in <laughs> because it is late Wednesday while we're recording this and while we're releasing this. Um, the importance of just bringing this up because of not just how it relates to cross-dressing, sexuality, and gender, but also how like our population of people are changing and we didn't want to come in tone deaf and talk about like dresses on the most important day after an election. And Oh, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> which, um, you know, we just didn't want to do, but, um, well in this episode we're, we're just chatting about, you know, how we feel uh, about the election, how 
certain candidates may be transgender or are transgender and are making a difference in, you know, society and the election. So it's really important. And not just even transgender, just people and members of the LGBTQ community are making a huge difference. And I guess we can start with, well, first off again, Sierra, again, how are you feeling about (laughs) everything that's going on so far? There's a lot, there's a lot in just one day, but and more than that. So you can go on. You can start, girl. I know you want to chat. So Oh, I can chat about this all day and that can actually be kind of a problem. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling I obviously if you've listened to us on the podcast before talk about politics, like it's pretty clear what our perspectives are and what our positions are. Um I'm feeling cautiously optimistic about everything at this point, uh, particularly because of the way that that early votes are breaking. When Giselle was talking about the way that people have been voting early in this election, that's actually a really new thing in a lot of states. And what is maybe a bit counterintuitive or misunderstood about the American political system for people who don't live here or who don't really look at the big picture around the country is that there is no centralized system for elections in this country. Everything is very decentralized and run not just at the state level, but very often at the county level. And so your voting experience can look very different just if you live on the opposite side of a county line or the opposite side of a state line. And so in some states you can vote early very easily, other states you can't. And COVID kind of threw everything into this crazy, crazy mix this year where early voting is happening in certain states for the first time. And so like in some states there's a real culture of it, other states there isn't. And so like we're seeing returns come in in many states right now where the initial results looked very favorable for uh president trump and they've moved significantly in one direction and we've had other states where the early results really favor biden and have flipped and so it's it's interesting to see that just depending on how these different states count votes we're just getting a very different timeline and we've never seen exactly this model of doing an election before so it's hard to know exactly what to predict but things look very encouraging right now in the upper midwest I think things are very encouraging in Pennsylvania, even though the margin as we're recording this is still pretty wide in President Trump's favor. The early vote that remains, which is still about 1.4 million votes, if it breaks more than 65% for Biden, uh, that's a win in Pennsylvania. I was just crunching some numbers right before we got on the call. You should see my my little calculator app. Like the, It's like I have a screen full of just crunching these, these uh, returns. And um, in addition... All the other states, like we're seeing a really like durable transition in the southwestern U.S. Nevada, we're still kind of waiting to see, but it's looking good. Arizona is moving into the Democratic column for the first time since 96, and that was even an anomaly. But we're seeing a, a real sea change uh, politically in that state. This is not an anomaly. It's not a one-time thing. It's kind of reflecting a lot of the demographic changes we've seen in this part of the country, um, even in California. So we're, we're seeing an electoral map that's different and will probably reflect a new reality, but exactly how things shake out in a couple of the key states, we're still waiting to see. And I was going <laughs> to, there was a lot of things because we were texting back and forth yesterday and I was texting back and forth with a bunch of other friends and family about um, certain surprises that we had yesterday. And uh, you and I had a specific one and it was uh, Florida of all states. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you want to elaborate on Florida and it's a certain population uh, that may have uh, <laughs> swayed it a certain way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like this, it was one of the most interesting things to me that, and this is actually a reflection. I, I mean, I can't look at this situation. And even though I think that Donald Trump is a disgusting human being in almost every way, I can't look at this situation and say like his campaign didn't do virtually everything right in South Florida. South Florida, which is anchored by the city of Miami and a bunch of, of uh, neighboring counties uh, along that uh, Atlantic coast, is absolutely pivotal to Democrats winning in the state of Florida. You can't win statewide as a Democrat in Florida if you don't win among the Latino community in South Florida in particular. And what we saw in this case was a huge, huge shift of Cuban-American and Venezuelan-American voters to President Trump on the neighborhood of, I think, 11 to 13 points in those communities. And that's pretty mind-blowing. That's it's crazy. It's crazy. But the genius of the Trump campaign in this case, and I hate that I have to say that, but the genius of the Trump campaign here was that they recognized that they could activate that base by micro-targeting and ensuring that messaging about socialism got out to that particular community. So, I mean, I hate that things worked out the way they did there, but like the Trump campaign was speaking to those voters and they were speaking to real concerns they had uh, based on their, their lived experiences or the experiences of their families uh, with systems of government in Venezuela and Cuba. And whether we agree with the messaging or not, like it was extremely effective. And again, kind of like how people didn't see Trump's success in 2016 in the upper Midwest coming, they didn't see this either because no one was paying attention to that micro ground game or that that micro targeting that the Trump campaign was doing. Totally right. wild. It's <laughs> and it's just funny because then I'm on a, on Reddit on Latino people Twitter and they <laughs> talk about how like Cubans they fleed you know they fleed Cuba right <laughs> of a dictator with Fidel Castro and they come to America with these promises of you know and there's a, there's already a, you know racism in, within the Latino community. With oh, like no Mexicans and you know Cubans and how this idea that Cubans are, you know, they're they're promised this like idea of whiteness or this like white supremacy, so they kind of believe into it. It's it's also kind of crazy as well, you know, living in you know California, which predominantly is Hispanic and has Mexicans, and you know who right with Trump and saying Trump saying certain things about like. Trump or, you know, Mexico's bringing the racist, you know, they're, they're rapists and they're not bringing their best. Some of them are good people and the bad hombres comment, you know, it's just, ooh, ooh. Right. It's like Trump knows how to activate his base and he knows how to, um, kind of signal to his base, like that he believes certain things. And he's certainly done that with, with just overt racism against Mexican American immigrants. But you just, you don't see a similar tone with, with Cuban Americans. And it's not like a monolithic community either, uh, but you tend to see that Cuban Americans, um, especially those who left Cuba earlier and have been in Florida or in other parts of the U.S. for generations, enjoyed more economic prosperity in Cuba than others uh, than other immigrants from Latin America, and fled more for political reasons or concerns about preserving their wealth or their stability versus a lot of immigrants from Mexico and from Central America who often, I mean, not universally, but often come uh, to this country uh, as a result of, of either um, seeking economic opportunity after facing limited prospects at home or, um, or, you know, fleeing violence in Central America in particular, particularly common among uh, trans people who, who immigrate from Central America. 
But Great. yeah, I mean, we can't view that Latino community as being monolithic. And yesterday was just a great example of that. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm um, still thinking it. And my next question is, are you surprised? Are you like surprised at all at like the results of like the entire US? Like were you, you know, with polling and how, you know, it was leaning extremely with 538, extremely leaning towards like a, you know, Biden have a, having a 90% chance of winning with the polls showing, you know, that he would win and like there'd be possibilities of a landslide with, you know, that going out the window with Florida going to like right away. (laughs) You're like, Oh, not that close. Yeah. It's like our dreams were shattered very, very, very early last night compared to a lot of, I think what people were expecting. And the crazy thing is you look at a forecast like 538 and the important thing to remember is like a 90% chance doesn't reflect his margin of victory. It just means that in 90 out of 100, 90 out of 100 simulations or 90% of like the 40,000 simulations that they run every time they run their model. He won in 90% of those. And a narrow win is still a win. So what we're probably going to see, unless there is anything really dramatic or unexpected that changes, is Biden is going to narrowly win this election. But you know what? That's still in that 90% of wins. And one of the most common uh, possibilities, uh, one of the most common models are actually 35% of their model runs showed that Pennsylvania would be the tipping point. And that might be what we're going to see. We might not even get to that point because the wonkiest kind of scenario that I was telling everybody before uh, everything broke yesterday is that with that one congressional district in Nebraska that uh, Biden won, he can win this without Pennsylvania. And that's entirely a possibility still, as long as Arizona and Nevada hold. But like, those are both still wins. They're really narrow wins, but they still fall in that 90% category. And I think a lot of people, though, were expecting that like, that 90% probability just meant this was going to be a runaway. But uh, that was not the case at all. And if you look at the probability distribution of where the uh, results would fall, that kind of fat middle of that distribution, it was always looking like it was going to be pretty close. I agree. I agree. I mean, yeah. And when we were like, oh, look, Texas might go to Biden. And then, no. <laughs> well, see, that's another one of those situations where like the early returns were like super tantalizing for people who were on our side. It was like you just saw the enthusiasm of a lot of that early vote. And then as things trickled in from today's vote, where we knew we would have more Republicans voting because, yeah, it's Trump supporters who don't mind going to the polls and getting COVID. Um, of course, it kind of shifted back more in the direction of Texas's fundamentals. But there is still so much hope that that we pin on those kinds of situations. But it was always a long shot in Texas. Always a long shot. Right, right. Now, are you surprised of how close? I mean, even with how you and I both agree Trump is an asshole and totally. racist, chauvinistic, you name all the istics or <laughs> isms, that's Trump. Are you surprised that even despite Trump's response to COVID, Trump's, you know, racist remarks, uh, you know, his handling of the economy and the rest of the government. Are you surprised of how close this election was? I guess I, to be honest, I'll say that I was, my hopes didn't align with my rational expectation. My expectation (laughs) was always, I think that it would be very much like this. My hopes, of course, (laughs) were, were very different from that, that it would be a repudiation of Trumpism. Like this election would be this country's way of saying, no, fuck that. We don't believe what this asshole believes. Right, right. That you know, that's just not the case. That's not the reality of the current electoral map. And so no, I'm I'm not surprised. And 
the reality is like not everyone who voted for Trump believes in Trumpism, right? Like a lot of people who voted for him, yeah, they, they voted for him because like he was the Republican candidate. And some people just held their nose and vote for voted for him because it's like they believe in the agenda of the Republican Party, which I mean has been eroding and has becoming more Trump's agenda. But you do have that solid base. And that's what's kind of scary to me. Um, is that you have a solid base of people who really do believe in in what he's saying. And you could even argue that his base has strengthened a little bit, um, as is reflected in these in these returns. So yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that? Were you surprised or was it more just like your hopes not matching up with what we, what you saw? Uh, similar to you, uh, I was hopeful that, um, you know, especially with going with polls, because, you know, even with 538 being wrong four years ago, they still gave Trump a 36% chance even the day before the election. Right. With, you know, results and people forget that. Like, I know they're like, oh, look, 538 was wrong. And I'm like, yeah, but like you said, they're, you know, they've run the simulations these many times. And in that, you know, window or that number that Trump was, still favored to win or still had a chance to win. Um, I, it, it's, you're right. It, it's disappointing, especially in states where, you know, or in populations, especially like Florida, <laughs> like Trump, even though it's his, you know, his now home state where he lives with Mar-a-Lago estates and whatever, and his golf resorts, you're just, you know, with this like, with certain populations that Trump targets or, you know, his, his policies that don't benefit you, you would think, like you said, the repudiation of, of Trump, you think it would, it would show or it would reflect in the votes, but you're like, Oh, I, I guess not. And luckily, and we, we could talk about the whole electoral college system being, you know, so outdated, but it, it's luckily these small patches kind of, you know, reverted back to blue when it when you know Hillary Clinton lost those certain counties in certain states four years ago, kind of coming back blue, which is again hopeful. Uh, the other thing we haven't even talked about are the Senate races, which, ooh, um, looking at yeah. them right now, <laughs> ooh, uh, with uh, uh, with Maine right now with what's her name conceding, uh, that's unfortunate, but also kind of uh, you know expected, but it's. It's disheartening that, you know, like I was telling you, I, ha I had faith in, in, in America that, you know, late last night we were like, ooh, this is not looking great. But, you know, I had, I had faith in us, <laughs> even though. I still do. I, yeah. I even though do. four years ago it was kind of also like, oh, I have faith in us. And then every hour as the, as the night went by, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is <laughs> really bad. It just but, kept getting worse and worse. And the difference is this time we're seeing exactly the opposite. The states that are reporting later, things start to look better and better just because of how the votes are counted in those states. Right, right. Uh, it's, uh, but to answer your question, I'm disappointed in that it's even this close. Like, really? It's this close, guys? Like, we couldn't have done a little better, uh, you know, with... Yeah. And, uh, and you know, we did, I've never even talked about this, but I was going to do that. Uh, by the way, guys, our patreon.com slash crossyass has more politics stuff that we talked about prior to the election, but these like, th it's this kind of identity with Trump, like with the Latinos for Trump, which ooh, these blacks for Trump and like the worst of all are the, <laughs> that I see sometimes on my Giselle Facebook, the transgenders for Trump. It's like, what? 
<laughs> it really is hard to fathom like what is it that you see in this in this person like i i simply don't understand it like and especially when he so clearly advocates or at least doesn't condemn violence against our communities like what the hell why would you in any way think that that supporting him is aligned with your own interests but i mean we have a proud tradition of voting against our own interests in america and that's that goes back a very long time and there are some really interesting books about that um like i'm sorry like what books oh i'm looking at my bookshelf now there's one from the early 2000s called what's the matter with kansas by thomas frank it kind of dives into and it's a little bit kind of um it, it's not necessarily charitable to voters in what we kind of consider the heartland midwest but it speaks to the fact that the Republican narrative that was sold with kind of the, the rise of the neoconservative movement was completely misaligned with the actual economic and social interests of voters in middle America for so long. And yet it's been a really durable thing. Like they keep supporting uh, not just, um, or the average voter keeps supporting uh, candidates who have actually drifted farther and farther to the right in a lot of those states. Yeesh. Yikes. Yikes. Um, well, with that, uh, let's transition uh, like that, like that too. Ah, that's good. <laughs> uh, uh, the transgender, uh, you know, wins in the U.S. as far as um, you know, within the LGBTQ community and within Senate races with like smaller races. I don't know if you want to start with that, uh, Sierra. Yeah, I mean, there have actually been a good number of pretty exciting. Uh, advancements in uh, trans candidates finding some success in this election. I mean, of course, we're not seeing the same numbers that that we've been seeing among other kind of minority constituencies, I guess. But right, right. there there have been some really great advances. Um, I'm thinking of one in particular, the one that caught a lot of people's attention yesterday. Uh, yes, to her is Sarah McBride, who won her uh, state Senate race in Delaware. That was really exciting. Yes, yes, I saw that. Yes yeah. to her, absolutely. And then there are also a number of people who won elections to state house seats. I'm looking at a form uh, or a list of, of trans candidates right now published by uh, Logan Casey, who's an academic researcher. And they list uh, Lisa Bunker in New Hampshire, Stephanie Byers in Kansas, Jerry Cannon in New Hampshire, uh, Taylor Small in Vermont, uh, and those are the ones who have, uh, those are the candidates who have, who have won at this point. There are still other races pending, of course, and even closer to home. Um, I live in more in the inland part of Southern California, and I spend a lot of time in the desert. So I was particularly excited to see that Lisa Middleton was reelected to the city council in Palm Springs. And she was actually the first transgender person elected to a non-judicial office in California. And Ooh, she yes. won... Yeah, it's awesome. And she won re-election unopposed. So no one even challenged her. She's that awesome. <laughs> nice, nice. Mm, that's great. Woo. So I mean, things are things are great. We are seeing pockets of hope and we're seeing pockets of, of uh, advancement for the trans community, for the LGBTQ community. And it's also really encouraging to see on, frankly, from both parties, the number of women who are moving into the ranks of elected yes, officials. Yes. Uh, um, and I mean, I don't want to say it, but like the right kind of women, right? Like, <laughs> like um, we, oh, you and I even talked about this, but the, uh, oh, geez, the Amy uh, Barrett, uh, call me Barrett um, choice. Ooh, girl. <laughs> yeah. Not Ooh. so great. 
But the other thing is we just want to see equity and access for women, right? To, right, to elected right. offices, to appointed positions like that. And part of the thing about, about having greater equity and access is that we're not always going to agree with all the women who are elected. True. We're not always going True. to agree with the women who are appointed to the court. And I mean, keep in mind, the first woman appointed to the Supreme Court was was reasonably conservative. Sandra Day O'Connor mm-hmm. came from a very conservative background as a jurist in Arizona. And a lot of the women who uh, who won their races yesterday are Republicans. And we're yeah. not going to agree with them on many things, but I still think it's just encouraging to see greater gender equity in, in the ranks of elected officials. I agree. I agree. And I think... Uh, you know, the hope is, you know, in 50 years to 100 years, your um, trans status, is that a thing where like, it doesn't even matter. Oh, you know, trans candidate, you know, a trans woman one is just like, no, this woman one, right? <laughs> like, it, we would get away from using these labels or, you know, like, I was going to talk about the first uh, openly gay black man um, was, you know, he won his seat in new york uh, his name escapes me <laughs> i was talking about him oh uh, richie torres uh who's yeah yeah black and gay and he's also part latino and mondaire jones uh they became the first openly gay black men elected to congress which is you know like who their you know sexual sexuality shouldn't you know matter in terms of you know how you represent you know your jurisdiction or your group of people you represent so like eventually it won't matter right like your color skin and stuff like that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I truly, I truly believe you're right about that. Um, first of all, I do think, like, in in some ways, like, yeah, the, your gender does matter because it means, like, some sometimes it means like where you're coming from, you bring a different perspective, or your your color of your skin, maybe not so much, but your race, your ethnicity, like that reflects your background, and we want people from diverse backgrounds bringing their right, perspectives. True. true. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're absolutely right that there will come a point when some of these identity markers are, are going to be less a part of the conversation. And I can actually think about a, a specific example of this. Um, my congressman here in Southern California, his name is Mark Takano. He was elected after the redistricting in, in, uh, in 2012 for the first time. And he was the first openly gay per, uh, person of color elected to Congress. And um, he faced a really, really, really a challenging race earlier on, like a decade before he ran for Congress against a Republican incumbent. And that Republican incumbent basically outed him and um, made his sexuality like a really big part of the race. And at that time, that was before the huge cultural sea change that we've seen on LGB progress, basically. Um, that was a big deal for him and it resulted in him losing his first race for Congress. Wow. But when he ran again in 2012, it was a completely different story. He was also running in a more favorable district, but people by and large celebrated his background rather than viewed it as something that would make them less likely to vote for him. Right. Well, that's good. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And we'll hopefully see that with, with uh, trans candidates for office in the future. I mean, there is no doubt that acceptance, uh, societal acceptance of the T in LGBTQ is pretty far behind the acceptance of gays, lesbians, bisexual people in America. And it's unfortunate, but that's just the reality of it. And I've been speaking to some people I know who have been out as as gay for many years, and, and they basically said that they think that the experience of trans people today very closely mirrors what they experienced when coming out maybe 20, 30 years ago. And it's behind, but that there's not reason that we won't see progress 
going forward. I think there's a lot of reason to be hopeful. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. And finally seeing, like we talk about it, just being, um, you know, exposure to trans candidates, to mm -hmm. exposure to, you know, gay candidates, like, oh, these people are human. <laughs> you know, like, oh, they actually have the same problems I do. And they're fighting for the same things we want. And the, you know, the, the ideas that like are bad, they actually don't want either. <laughs> it's just exactly. It's, it, it, it's this, you know, and again, with this podcast, it's like the, the idea of cross-dressing, like, oh, maybe cross-dressing isn't so, you know, evil as it seems, or how wearing a dress isn't that bad, or, um, you know, or accepting others is actually a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like, what's wrong with expressing your gender identity? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't even have to be the entirety of your identity. Like, if you're, and that's what's kind of interesting about, like, what's happened with a lot of, of, um, politicians who have come out as as being gay in particular they have they haven't been viewed lately as much as being gay candidates but just candidates who happen to belong to the lgbt community and so it's like when you think about my congressman again mark takano it's not like he goes to congress with a gay agenda he goes right. to congress with a progressive agenda trying to do good things for many other reasons it just happens to be like that's his sexuality and right. Right. that's that's who he is and we should celebrate that, but it's not like his, the entirety of his identity. Right. Right. Um, it is important though, that we, you know, keep these, um, whether you're LGBTQ or you're not, or, you know, you're part of any community that you are held accountable for your actions. And, um, oh, yeah, with like Trump being not part of the community, which probably is a better thing, but for him to say certain things and again, going back to him, like, hopefully losing <laughs> with how things are looking. And again, we're recording this the day after the election. Um, you know, ho holding him accountable for what he's done and said to about gay people, about trans people, about Hispanics, about you name it, who hasn't he offended at this point? <laughs> it's just, we, we hope that, then that's what I hope that we as a country did yesterday, that we voted him out per se to mm -hmm. hopefully bring in a new set of ideas, <laughs> which, you know, maybe it had been the silver lining about Trump's presidency that we as Americans are being more, you know, engaged in our pol political life. I don't know. That is an interesting thought. And it's, it's definitely, I would say a silver lining to all of this is, it kind of falls along two lines. Number one, what you just mentioned, Giselle, about the fact that more Americans were engaged than ever before. We saw so much more turnout than we have seen previously. And yes, yes. That is awesome. Like, regardless of how you vote, obviously, we think one way is better than the other. Um, but just yes. that engagement is good. Like, it's it's unqualified that it's better that people are engaged than disengaged. And the other side of that is, I mean, that engagement can can take many different forms. And um, I just kind of lost my train of thought. I hope you <laughs> no, it's fine. We'll find it. We'll find it. <laughs> Um, let me think about what I, I, I had a really good point there. I just completely lost it. It's there. We'll get it. We'll get it. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just actually just looking at the New York times map as I, as I was saying oh, that because they just called Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely uh good news. Yes. Well, he wants a recount, so I don't know. Maybe what is he going to, he's going to find 20,000 votes somewhere. I don't know. Well, last time 
a recount was ordered in Wisconsin, it changed the vote by like, I think 300 votes altogether, like some oh, yeah. really, really small margin. So it's not going to be enough to make a difference. In oh, God. God. Um, yeah. But back to your point, the uh, it's important to be engaged, whether or not you vote a certain way that we agree with. But, um, you know, where we are, <laughs> we're for acceptance and understanding of one another, whereas certain parties want to uh i don't know kind of hinder that thinking i don't know stop that totally <laughs> yeah and even though a lot of the people who turned out uh who wouldn't have turned out otherwise did vote for trump it's like it's still better that that we yes had them turning out it's it's just better to have people engaged and my other point that just came back to me was that it's it's very similar in the sense that we sometimes have to confront the difficult things that we face in our society head on in order to actually move past them. And one of those things that we have to confront and that we are confronting with Trumpism is that there are a lot of Americans who, um, for whatever reason, really do resonate with Trump's messages. Some of them will be resonating uh, with what he's saying for more economic reasons, feeling kind of disenfranchised by the way the economy has been changing. And that, by the way, is just going to accelerate. With automation, there is going to be like entire classes of jobs that are just going to disappear. Mm -hmm. in the next 20, 30 years. That's one thing I think Andrew Yang was completely right about. And people need to wake up and realize that this world is changing significantly in that sense. But there are also a lot of people who actually like straight up identify with Trump's racism, with oh, yeah. his transphobia. And this, this person being in the presidency gives them legitimacy, in a sense, to speak about that, to openly display that. And it's a reaction against the fact that America is becoming more diverse, that there is greater acceptance of the LGBTQ community than ever before. And the fact that these people who had probably always been feeling this way are now expressing it gives us an opportunity to confront it head on. And it's the only way we'll actually get past it. Like Obama was not the first post-racial president, the way that no. some people viewed that he might be toward the beginning of his first term. Right. If anything, he was a swing in a certain direction that that ended up being answered by this this kind of Trump backlash that we've seen. Yeah, yeah. I, so many <laughs> things too. The you're so right about this, which I maybe you're right. Like I didn't like about Trump that it kind of per, permitted people to just act like douchebags towards totally. not, not just trans people, but lesbians gays uh you know bisexual people black people hispanics like you're outright you know this he he lived in this idea people always talk about he's like living in this 50s mentality and how he wants to make women you know oh god like you know like oh and the misogyny don't even let's not even get started on that and and it you're right and it allowed people to just be openly be dicks <laughs> openly yeah. be racist and we were just supposed to be tolerant of it. It's that's oh god, it's it's fucking frustrating. And again, that's where I was so upset about last night. Where I'm like, none of you are upset about this. And certain states did flip Arizona and um, uh, like Nebraska that district. <laughs> but it's like, is no one no one upset about what he's saying? And I was hoping that it would reflect, but it I guess it didn't. I don't know. Well, it's. 
also important to remember, like the popular vote margin is really not that close. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what it is right now, but it's it's uh, definitely favoring Biden and it's growing. So a majority of Americans who vote um, believe that Biden speaks for them better than Trump does. And that's telling. I mean, we're focused on specific states just because of the Electoral College. And it feels right, like right. a nail biter just because of that uh, relatively archaic system that <laughs> Suddenly, like, is making Omaha seem like the most important per- um, most important place in the world. What up, Omaha? Hey, hey, what up, Omaha? Shout out, Omaha fans. We have maybe one Omaha, or- as the uh, <laughs> Biden campaign was calling it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I mean, we, we talk about this a lot, but I, we're just happy that America is kind of hopefully going back to, you know, a st- state of normalcy, <laughs> I think, is that we've, we kind of need after four years of you know, it wasn't a bad four years, but if you were trans or if you were an affected community that wasn't rich, white, nor, you know, or affluent, it might've been a shitty four years for you, you know? Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, whether it's been a bad four years or not totally depends on your perspective. Like if you were, if you're an immigrant from Central America, who's been trapped in one of those totally inhumane detention facilities uh, for an indefinite period of time waiting a hearing or, or whatever. I mean, it's been probably among the worst years of your life. And there's so much inhumanity that's been happening underneath the surface. And it's so convenient because it's, it it can be so hard to confront that as a person of privilege to look at those situations and just feel completely helpless. Um, that a lot of people just kind of look past it and think, well, as long as I get through this, it'll be fine. But Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of people are really, really, really struggling. And it's it was certainly a thing in like the in transgender spaces and social media to say like vote like your life depends on it. Because it's not I don't think it's a stretch to say that that Trumpism endorses violence against trans people. And we already know we've talked about what a terrible, terrible e- epidemic that has been lately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is an existential thing for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people were afraid that like this election was a referendum on themselves, on their identities. And when you are part of a community that doesn't fit within the mold of Trumpism, like that's what this was. Right. And that, again, back to the transgenders for Trump, it was like, what are you guys doing? Like, what? what? I mean, um, I think John Leguizamo, who I've talked about in uh, last week's uh, wink, <laughs> My cross the assessment, and you know he was in um, Tu Wang oh, Fu. Oh, Tu Wang Fu, yeah, yeah. But he talked about uh, this was, and he got some flack for it about like how Hispanics voting for Trump is like roaches for raid, <laughs> which is, <laughs> it's just you know it's like yeah, you're actively going against like we talked about how if we voted against our own interests, but yeah, actively voting for Trump, you know, it's like you guys know he doesn't like you, right? Like he wants you out of here, right? Like. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it, and that his his supporters, by and large, if you encounter them, will will view you as as like someone <laughs> who they might like want to be violent against. I mean, it's it's right. that's what's so hard to understand about that. I mean, of course, everyone everyone is entitled to their opinion, but some opinions are just really inconceivable and just yeah. make no sense at all to me. <laughs> inconceivable, you know exactly <laughs> that word. I don't think you know what it means. <laughs> uh, um, Oh gosh, yeah, I would love to make more Princess Bride like references, but uh, I mean, gosh, I'm, I'm just like I'm F5ing, I'm refreshing hard. Like we usually refresh on our like 
page for to see how many views we get for or <laughs> listens for the podcast. But I'm fiving like hard on the election maps on either. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's all like the next two days are going to be for me. Um, <laughs> even though I think we'll we'll probably have a pretty good understanding of where things look where things stand later today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we're yeah, we're going to have to wait until tomorrow, like for Nevada. But things yeah. are looking pretty good overall. I think Georgia's Secretary of State said they should have Georgia's numbers by the end of the day, which is promising, even though it's not looking great for Biden so far. But, you know, I'm holding out hope. Um, as well yeah. As, yeah. Pennsylvania. Too. So we have till Friday at the actually we technically have to the 12th for Pennsylvania for mail-in ballots. So. Yeah, it's just going to take a long time in some of these states. And with Pennsylvania in particular, it's like the vote that remains is overwhelmingly Democratic. And there's no doubt about that. The question is, is it 60% or is it 70% Democratic? Because if it's 60% Democratic, it's not enough. If it's 70% Democratic, it is. But let's just hope we don't even need Pennsylvania. We can just put this all to bed once Michigan finalizes, which should be today. And then we'll hear from Nevada tomorrow and we'll hear from Arizona more definitively, even though I think that one is, is pretty set. Oh yeah. And that's all we need. Anything else then will, will be less of a worry and more just like hopefully showing that people in, in some of these other States um, lined up with doing the right thing. So what are your, okay. And you probably go off on this. What were your thoughts about early this morning, late last night, Trump declaring victory saying we, he already won. Like, and he's finding. I think this morning he was talking about how are they finding random numbers here, there, votes here, there. What, what are your thoughts, girl? Well, I think it's pretty simple. That's what dictators do. That's what people who want to undermine the democratic process do. Simple as that. He is being more kind of anti-American in questioning the electoral process than anyone else I can think of who's run for uh, run for a high-profile office. It's it's absolutely insane that even people in his party are not really calling him out on that because a lot of Republicans believe strongly in our electoral process. And why do they condone this guy doing this? Like they just, they, they should stand up against that and say, it's right, just ridiculous. Right. I mean, how, how did you feel? I mean, it was, it was a terrible moment. Oh, right? no. We, I think I texted you and I was like, girl, did, did he just say he, he won? <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, is this guy for real? Like, what are we talking about right now? Like, it was, it's upsetting, but it's like, it's kind of on par for Trump. Like, he's already talked about what, like, you know, even in the last election, he, you know, he's, he, he talked about a non peaceful transfer of power. And he's yep. talked about firing the head guy of the CDC who's in the middle of a pandemic, mind you. <laughs> like, he's talked about doing all these dictator like things. And you can't just help but think like, oh, yeah, he, he was going to do that. I mean, even Bernie Sanders called it. He said, you're going to have Trump, you know, kind of just declare victory, even though these mail-in ballots of certain states haven't been out yet. <laughs> it's like, well, absolutely. And the thing that is so crazy is that none of us were surprised. I don't think anyone was surprised that he did that. No. And no. I think like the outrage that we would have seen if he did this in his, his first election mm-hmm. if it was this close like it would be a completely different situation because we become so accustomed to him doing things and desensitized to him doing things that are mm-hmm. totally out of the norm and just beyond the pale in terms of what we will tolerate from any other public office holder 
anyone else, really. I totally agree. And and this idea of like, where do we go from here, right? Like, what do we what do we expect of a president? Because Trump is by all means, and I, I hate that I'm going off on Trump and that we're taking time out of our day to talk about this guy. But hopefully this is the last time because he's going to be out of here. But what do we expect from a president from a, you know, after Trump, right? Like what happens to all those Trumpers who, you know, ugh, and I've been watching a lot of old videos of Trump, that bitch, you know, these like, <laughs> these terrible, like supporters, like what happens to them? What ha what do we, what do we expect from the president? Like, you know, that is such a good existential question really about like the future of the country. And it's hard to really answer that because I think the Republican party is going to have to do some soul searching and really ask themselves, is this the direction that they want for their agenda? Is this the best way of making that happen? Like, can they succeed without this Trump base behind them? And it's scary to think like without Trump giving them a voice anymore, like what, are the people who supported him most fervently going to do? And that's just an open question, right? And yeah. as much as I just wanna like put this behind me, like watch Trump walk out the door, think bye Felicia and just be done with this last four years as like some nightmare that we're finally awaking from. It's not gonna be that simple because all of those people who put him where he is now are still here, except the ones who, who have lost their lives as a result of COVID because it was so right. horribly mismanaged. <laughs> Which, and yeah, uh. that's another story altogether. But it's like, we're not going to recover from Trumpism uh, anytime soon, even though we might recover from him. Right, right. And uh, fun fun fact, the North, one of the North Dakota like legislators won. <laughs> did you hear about this? I sure uh, did. And he, he died from COVID a month ago and he still won his seat. So you're like, how did, what? <laughs> That has happened. Like there have been a number of candidates who have who have won seats posthumously, um, not just in this election, but previously in some in, in pretty interesting situations. But certainly, the COVID thing was a, was a wild dynamic for this election, and I think there's a lot of research to be done still to see like how it actually affected things. But I was thinking that sentiment related to COVID would make this a, a wider margin in the election, oh, yeah. but we're just not seeing that. No, not at all. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's frustrating. And we're not even, it's like COVID isn't done yet, guys. Like it's still here. Like, and if, if whoever's listening to this and is comfortable with how Trump is handling it, like, and you voted for him, like, what did you guys expect? <laughs> like, right. I we're actually in the worst uh, uptick of the virus in many parts of the country right now, particularly with these red states that voted for Trump. Of course. And of course, like you talked about, people voting against their self-interest. Why would you do that? Well, I don't know. I'm going to vote for Trump. Like, ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> I mean, it could literally be life or death in these kinds of situations, literally. Oh, God. But apparently it's all about, you know, owning the libs, I guess, is a very common rhetoric on <laughs> online. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't um, know. Yeah. We're all just a bunch of snowflakes, but pretty much. And, you know, and for both of us, we, we, I, I kind of, you know, I'm okay with Republicans. I don't mind if you're a Republican voter. Like, yes, by all means, like you talked about, like Trump people coming out in droves voting for Trump who've never voted before. That's great. But like, understand what are you voting for? Like, I would hope that you'd become a little more informed voter or informed citizen. And what are the, what are the means of voting? What, why, why you have a civic duty, but it's like, 
you know, are you, you, you are you critically thinking? <laughs> that is a that is such a good question that I think a lot of people need to pose to themselves. You're right, and the the only qualification I I would have to what I said earlier, like it's a good thing that people are participating. I mean, I legitimately do believe that any participation in democracy, following recognized procedures and within the pathways that we set up, number one, like voting, uh, peaceful protests, like the ways that we have the freedom to express ourselves in this society. I think it's great when people take advantage of them, but I don't disagree with the people who say like voting for Trump is an act of violence against people of color and an act of violence against trans people. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's what the message, that's what Trumpism endorses It endorses violence against people of color and trans people and, and diverse communities in general. And so even it's, it's a, double-edged sword in this case because yes participation is good but participation is also just an act of kind of completely dismissing the humanity of a huge number of americans of people in a community that we're a part of and it's just it's hard to know what to think about all of that in some cases i agree and when you have the opportunity to denounce white supremacy Anybody, please take advantage of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, like what civilized person would not denounce white supremacy except for a white supremacist, <laughs> right? Exactly, or someone who who feels so like I, I think Trump just felt like he was he was counting on them. He needed them for this election. He knew they were part of his base, and I mean, every vote counts, and he didn't want to turn them off. And so it was a very rational decision on his part, I think. But it was absolutely the wrong decision and yep. i think that people who still I, I just can't understand how people would make that decision after all of the evidence that we've seen uh, I, I i don't know i want to say single issue voters you know the people who are against certain things democrats are usually for like i don't know mm -hmm. abortion or uh, i don't know like i don't know so many other things that i want to say sure there, there's that but then if you know these people who say they're pro-life and then you know you actively see these kids like you talk about in detention cells with ice oh gosh it, it, everything everything girl yeah <laughs> it's it's like a set of contradictions that are impossible to wrap your mind around <sighs> and at the end of it all i mean it, even though things are probably going to go in a way that that we want it's like it's hard to feel very hopeful, right? Yeah, jeez. I don't even... Like, just sounding... Just talking about this, I just feel so defeated already. Even though... Even though <laughs> it's, it's felt like that for, what, the last 12 months or four years about trying to... And I never... I've never tried to defend Trump because even if I have, he just... You know, he contradicts himself already and I'm like, did you... Oh, God. But yeah, I'm sure that's how his... <laughs> Uh, his secretaries, or you know, his uh, what are they called? The, the, the 15th, oh, the cabinet, the cabinet, or McEnany. What's McEnany's role? What's her? Oh, uh, the press secretary. Yeah, press secretary. How what they've changed like six times, I'm sure, over the last four years. Um, <laughs> their job of defending what he says, and then he just goes outright and <laughs> like you know, like contradicts himself, and then they have to go in that job. I'm just like. like I'm just tired of it, girl. I'm sure you are too. In four years of this, I just need somebody back to a little sense of normalcy. I don't know. Well, I think we'll 
we'll get that. We'll get a little more normalcy, or at least as close as we can get to normalcy while a pandemic is still raging. And right. right. I don't think anything is going to be the same again, though. Like normalcy, I think we have to, in some ways, adjust our expectations because the one thing we've seen is that the electoral map changes in ways that we sometimes don't anticipate and and things that we assume to be the case for certain periods of time shift way more rapidly than than we remember because we we view these elections in in kind of snapshots and voter behavior changes between these different snapshots and so like states that we would think about as swing states are no longer in that column states that like just 12 years ago, just 10 years ago, we would have thought behaving one way or are going completely the other direction in ways that seem pretty durable. And so it's like what we think of as normal really never was, I guess. And yeah, yeah, and, and what we kind of envision as being a new normal probably won't be because we just don't know what life is going to look like when the pandemic starts to become controlled. We don't no, I think the biggest red flag is is like we absolutely don't know like what Trumpism is going to look like and what form it's going to take. And if they detach themselves from him and attach themselves to other figures, like who those will be, what they're going to do in politics, and how this is going to reshape us is is um is really up in the air right now. That's a good point. I, I'm more upset that we haven't gone out, Tress. I know. That's the biggest part of this. Like, fuck Trump for not allowing us to dress up. Seriously. Like, if the biggest crime of all is he didn't deal with it, and because he didn't deal with it early enough, it has affected my ability to dress up and go out with you and not even, I don't even care. Like, just go to a a winery, because I'm sure that sounds like fun, dressed up with you and, like, doing fun stuff. But we can't do that now because of COVID. And the lack of attention, this, and fuck you if you don't agree with Trump, like with his lack of, you know, attention to this pandemic. But if you say, well, he did the best he can, fuck you, by the way. No, he didn't do the best he could. Look at other countries. Maybe the best he could, which is worse. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, that's true. Terrible sign. But yeah, but that's, that's even worse because they're not saying that, you know, he's inept. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know he can't do anything so in that sense fuck trump if sum it all down fuck trump for not allowing me to dress up in public anymore because i haven't gone out because again i haven't gotten my eyebrows clean you know threaded i haven't shaved my legs because i haven't gotten waxed or sugared because fucker you've closed all our businesses because of this oh sorry just i'm gonna rant for that but no yeah. no i get that i get that like i just i can't wait for the day that we can like go yeah. to wineries go to yeah. vegas i mean yeah. it's gonna be awesome i can't wait for that and it'll happen it'll we'll get there never soon enough like it's not gonna be soon enough soon enough is like months ago but yes it will it will happen we will get past this hopefully this will be our opportunity I mean, we still keep in mind when when all the dust settles, which, I mean, again, it looks like it will for Biden at this point. We're still waiting until January before he takes office and the end of January at that. So there's a lot of damage that can be done from a public health perspective before then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and of course, it'll be under Trump's doing. And then, (laughs) and I'm a firm believer of this, the the GOP and the Republican Party will start talking about, you know, the, the, 
uh, America's debt and like, you know, are a lot of these things that could have been dealt with during Trump <laughs> won't be dealt well, with. Well, exactly. And the messes they created, the messes they created by passing a completely inequitable tax reform, <laughs> and the messes they've created by, by spending in ways that are completely reckless. I mean, the Republican Party messaging on on fiscal discipline is a farce. It's absolutely a joke. If you look at like from from like every administration in the last twenty years, it's it's been unquestionable that that uh, that democratic control has meant um, more fiscal restraint. Right. Right. And and for the cross yes listener who thinks we're just shitting on the GOP and the Republican Party and Trump. Uh, we, we kind of are, so yeah, it's not terribly inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not like we're not talking the truth. Like I could put in a bunch of clips here about Trump and, you know, God, and it would just be like, Oh, like if you knew nothing, you were an alien from another world who please, we, we, we welcome that um, to abduct us and take away from us from this misery. But, um, no kidding. Sign me it, up. Where's, where's it, the, where's the mothership? If, if I just played you a clip of Trump, and you were to listen to it, you'd be like, "Yo, that guy, that guy shouldn't do anything." And then you found out, like, "Oh, wait, he's he's your leader." Like, <laughs> yikes! You know? Yeah, you know how you know how like there are all those clips of aliens in movies saying, "Take me to your leader." Yeah. Like they'd see one clip of Trump and be like, mm, "Fuck that!" Yeah, next, next. <laughs> next. <laughs> what other Canada instead? <laughs> True, or they'd be like, "Hey, Mars has has life." <laughs> exactly all right it could yeah we can colonize there we'll have to deal with uh, won't have to deal with those morons oh god girl anyways well um this was a fun chat we should do more of these actually i really enjoyed this um even if it's not even trump related we should and you know last night i was thinking about like what should we call these things like just you and i just chatting it up and i couldn't think of anything that's that's a good question. Just kind of like, what do we call a random conversation like this? Yeah, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Are there podcasts out there that do this? Sorry, I won't go there. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been fun though. It's it's so fun to have a chance to talk about this. I mean, I could talk about electoral politics and electoral geography all day, and yeah. I can really nerd out on it. Yeah. And it feels good as a way of kind of processing this. Yeah. But yeah, we can talk about other things from time to time. Hopefully, there will be a time when when Trump is not like the main thing on our minds, when we can yeah. focus on. Focus on the finer things in life again, uh, right? And where we're not worried about a pandemic. And where we can do like video and just chat like in person. Oh my God, the day where we can just chat in person, like, you know, and record it and then just be like going off on stuff. Oh, I want to hang out. Like I want to hang out in person at a winery, at a bar. Yes. <laughs> interview you. Like, let's talk. I want to get in all your germs. I want to get our germs together, you know, and our germs aren't, you know, potentially fatal. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> And we like, don't want to kill each other by being near one another, but that's going to be, it's going to be an awesome day when that comes Temecula. Here we come. Seriously. Remember the days where we would potentially not kill one another because we breathe the same air. <laughs> it feels like such a distant memory. I haven't even like been to my office in, in nine months and it's just weird. Oh, true. That's right. Cause you have to work from home now, oh, which is, you know, fine, but also not, I don't know. Oh. It's like I kind of miss the social side of things and like my whole experience being out in the world as Sierra is during the pandemic. Like I haven't had these great opportunities yet to like go out with with all the amazing friends I've made like you, Giselle. And it's really it's sad. But I mean, it's also like 
I feel privileged to have a lot of the advantages that I've had and a lot of the flexibility I've I've had with my work and everything over the last few months, like nine months. But there still are those things. It's like that that social life is something I really look forward to. Yes, I miss it. I miss uh, like I told you, if we like met earlier, we would have gone to a club, a bar, like dressed up, like just been. Ah, uh, but then the pandemic hit, and you're like, oh, huh, huh. Yeah, I mean, what what more is there to say? <laughs> we just kind of uh, have to deal with it. Oh, I don't know. Anyways, I'm sure this was fun for you. Uh, I, this was super certainly fun for me. And I know you have a busy schedule today because, you know, we chat all day. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We'll be texting anyway. But that's yeah, got to go move some stuff out of that house we're selling. That's right. That's right, girl. All right. Um, this was fun. I'll post this tonight because, you know, why not? Hopefully Trump will lose by then. But um, you're amazing. You know that. Um, Thank you, listeners, for listening to our ramble. This is a different episode. <laughs> this is totally different <laughs> than our normal. But um, oh, thank you. Hey, we're kind of keeping. We're 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 following the the trends these days. We're we're taking normal and we're just we're turning it on its head, right? Yes, yes. Well, you know, I love you, girl. This is fun. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Love you, girl. You. This is awesome. So fun talking to you. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. All right. Well, love you guys. Love you, Cross Yes listener. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Sierra. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>